I'm joined now by Gary from OPC Energy. Gary, what a job you did out there today. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. You saw the customers' faces when that boiler went in. It was a really special moment. And what about the overall performance? Unreal. You, you could really feel the heat out there. I'm delighted with the result and we move on to the next one. Thanks, Gary. Come on! For more information on boiler upgrades, heat pumps and more, visit opc-ltd.uk. Get ahead of the game with OPC Energy. The Go Radio Football Show. Talking football first. Listen live weeknights from five. What is the perfect penalty? What's your favourite shootout? Well, I think we know the answer to that one. Uh, did you watch last night's marathon, which settled the Europa League final? Uh, I was wishing I'd missed the first couple of hours, to be perfectly honest, and switched on for that shootout. 11-10 it was, I think, as far as I'm aware. Villarreal beat Manchester United. John, were you watching? Yes, I was watching, yeah. Uh, I thought the the goalkeepers um, were poor, both goalkeepers, on the the penalty shootouts. Um, 11-10, as you say, uh, De Gea was the final. You know, he had to unfortunately miss. Somebody had to miss. But, um, you know, I just felt the keepers... I don't know whether they practiced penalties. De Gea has conceded. He hasn't saved a penalty out of his last 33. So why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't bring Dean Henderson on during extra time? Obviously, yeah. looking at the penalties, uh, I don't know. But listen, with hindsight, it's easy to say no. Two keepers who probably would still be trying to save one right now. Where were they, were they still taking them? Uh, but eventually, of course, it was a goalkeeper who settled it and a Villarreal uh, winning the Europa League. Who was the best player on the pitch in Gdansk? Altogether now, Scotland midfielder Scott McTominay, surely Richard Foster. Yeah, he was excellent. Um, just had everything you want in a midfielder. A kind of old school midfielder, a, a box-to-box midfielder, driving forward the ball, passing forward, winning tackle, tackles and headers. Um, and he just, you know, he was excellent. And I think that's, you know, if ever there was a an advert for why he should be playing in the midfield for Scotland, that was it last night because he was he was the best player on the pitch. I think Stevie Clark has said that already, uh, that gone are the days now of the back three for Scott McTominay. I, I think we could do with two of them, to be honest. We wouldn't mind one on the right side of the back three and one in midfield, but uh, I think it's going to be midfield for him. And it was just a, a really good feeling, I think, for a Scotland fan last night, watching that performance at that level, John. Um, and, he, and he was doing great things. And a lot of the great things were in, were in the final third. We're, we're used to him being neat and tidy in the midfield, playing passes, but actually, you know, bursting into the box, creating things, yeah. really good. Just showed a different side to his game. You know, not only can he intercept and defend well and read situations, he can also take the ball into the opposition's defensive third and pick players out. He can play it around the corner, these little clever passes, get it back. But I thought his long pass in, his range was really, really good last night. When he had to get to ground, go to ground, sorry, and make a and make a really sort of thuddering 50-50 tackle, he made sure that he went in and he won it. You know, he showed that bit of aggression to him as well. And Richard came in earlier and he said, in a way, slightly... You know, not how Manchester United had anything to do with United, but he would have liked United to win just because of Scott McTominay. Mm. Just because he's then going away with with his national team on the back of winning the European trophy. Yeah. Yeah, we know he's he's gonna go into the Champions League with Manchester United on the back of them finishing second to Man City. But it would have been nice personally for for him. Daniel James as well, the Welsh the Welsh lad. He a surprise, he never really came on last night because he's a threat. He's really pacey. He could have come on for Greenwood on that right-hand side. But was that, was that a schoolboy error, John, that, that, that he didn't make more substitutions earlier? Because Villarreal did, uh, did get fresh legs on 
much earlier in the game, didn't they? Was that a, was that a mistake that Solskjaer will look back on? Well, I listened to uh, Solskjaer talk today on the radio, one of the stations I was listening to, and he, he said that um, from his press conference, he, he, he described it as he felt he had enough quality on the pitch and they always looked threatening. He said they looked as if, you look at Rashford, um, Cavani and Greenwood, mm. three top players. Cavani obviously scored in the game. So sometimes you've you got McTominay in behind them. You've got um, Pogba as well, you know, looking to go show one Bissaka. They all, they're on the front foot. They want to they want to really play further up the pitch. They didn't have to do an awful lot defending mine. I think Villarreal had one shot. Yeah, one shot. I in think the there, game. Was, there was only three shots in the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I counted. I counted so them. I think as... United had most. They had the lion's share of possession, but you know, the, the them players. You look at them players. The names I've just said. You, you expect them to turn up on the big occasion, you know, and that and that's what uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is looking at by picking them three. He's thinking these three will get me goals tonight. But I am surprised, especially going into extra time. You know, an extra thirty minutes. Why Daniel James, with his pace, with that little bit of threat he's got, he runs in behind. You know, he's he's rapid, by the way. He's ridiculously yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, why why Ollie didn't make them changes? Well, I think all the guys in the studio were hoping for a Manchester United uh, win, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, three former Man United players were Hargreaves and Scholes and, and Ferdinand. Um, it was all, in a sense, it was a little bit dismissive, I think, of, of Villarreal. We didn't really get a lot about Villarreal in the build-up to it. Um, it was all about, surely it's going to be Man United. I guess most people expected that. And I, I just wonder whether that was maybe inside the heads of the, the Man U players as yeah. well. Maybe, you know, Because Villarreal aren't one of the biggest teams in Spain, they finished seventh in, in La Liga. Um, they were kind of, but they had, a, they had a good plan and the plan worked, didn't it? Yeah, and I don't, to be honest, you know, players don't tend to think like that. You know, Villarreal are in the final for a reason. You know, they've done as well as Man United in this competition to get to the position they're in. So I don't think any of the players or Solskjaer himself would have probably dismissed them. Um, it did, you know, it was quite tough to listen to at times when you're, you're. it was so pro-Man United and, you know, we heard that, I, I, I mean, I only seen this end of the second half and the extra time in the penalties and I must have heard five, six times there's only one team that's going to win it now, there's only one team that's going to win it. And then in the extra time, Villarreal were actually the better side and that's, like John said, that's probably the time you go, you know what, as they're pushing up the pitch, I'm going to put on this flying machine just just kick it over the top but they never did and it kind of I think from the start of extra time it always looked like Man United were wanting penalties because they just their legs you know they'd kind of given everything they had um, and, and kind of Villarreal were the better team without really kind of being too creative um, and then obviously if, you know when it goes to penalties it's just about your your quality your penalty and how calm you can be and obviously you know the standard of penalties was excellent mm. even the Villarreal goalkeeper's penalty was probably the best of the bunch and well he wasn't going to save one so he probably had to score well, one I um, think as well I, I, I think I think there'll be questions asked about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yeah you know this is three years now in the job yeah they've had a they, they finished second in the Premier League but they're still miles behind Manchester City yeah um, and I just think with with Pochettino being linked as well now with Spurs going back to Spurs maybe um, Conte uh, leaving into Milan, uh, you know Zidane has left Real Madrid. I just think them them other options are there. Uh, no disrespect to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but I thought he was very fortunate to have been given the job. Remember, he took Cardiff City down. He was managing Mould, so mm -hmm. not much in terms of a CV. He was a wonderful player for them, of course. Mm -hmm. Great, great, um, great goal scorer. So listen. Whatever I say is, is you know, is irre irrelevant really. But um, 
I just think there will be questions asked yeah, from, from from maybe some hardcore Man United supporters. Well, they're spending a lot of money, aren't they, Man United? Yeah. And uh, to be so far adrift of Man City as they were, even in finishing second, uh, and in the, the very much the lesser European competition, not to beat a team like Villarreal, that, that is failure, isn't it? And, and, and there will be some harsh thinking, you would imagine, to be done about Solskjaer. You know, do, do they have enough winners in that team? Do they enough? Do they have enough guys who hate losing in that team? Um, short answer, probably not. Um, when you look at, you know, you look at the big stage, you look at the front three, you think, yes, come on. And Cavani was the only really one that kind of turned up. But even then, you know, he, he done what he does best. He's alive in the box and nobody else is and he scores a goal. But all round general play from the, you know, from the front three of Man United wasn't that productive. They didn't create enough. They didn't put Villarreal under enough pressure. Um, and and the fact that as John was saying, how far behind Man City they are. Um, and you've got to remember, it must be difficult for Man United fans because of from where, where they've come from. Now I know for any manager that's you know fallen Sir Alex Ferguson is you know is no one wants that job really. But they're used to winning stuff, and they used to, yeah they had guys like you know schools like Ferdinand like Keane who. You could just tell that in certain games they just weren't going to lose the game because they had that grit and determination. Where I think Man United, it was almost got to the point last night where they almost accepted, right? Okay, we'll go to extra time, we'll go to penalties, and then just hope we win on penalties. And that's not really what you're used to seeing. Man United, you're used to seeing that drive, and and someone's going to step up. And I mean, to be fair to McTominay, he certainly tried, but when the the guys in front of him weren't really pulling their weight as such, it was obviously going to be difficult for him. What was your theory on taking a penalty, John? What was your policy when you stepped up I thought I was confident until I put the ball down and then when I used to step back I used to try and have a have a corner in my mind a place in my mind where I was going to put it um, when I was sort of coming back from putting the ball on the spot and then for whatever reason once or twice when I took penalties I changed my mind changed my mind at the final you know at the final sort of hurdle if you like I missed some big ones I missed one for Wales against Northern Ireland that at Windsor Park once and I was desperate to score because it was like playing at Ibrox mm. when I went there um, and I missed a big one in the Scottish Cup, uh, the Scottish League Cup final against Rangers where um, I'd scored a goal during the game which was legitimately onside but it was given off for a linesman poor decision um, so I'd missed some big ones and also scored some big ones um, but if I'm being totally honest I I wasn't really a penalty taker. I would take them if there was nobody else or if it was my turn down the line. I think that's Celtic what we used to do. Henrik would be generally the penalty taker. Mm-hmm. He was like a 95, 98% that he would score. Um, if he missed, it's up to him then whether he decided to give it to, to Chris. And Chris Sutton missed a penalty in the Scottish Cup final. You know, that one never gets a mention because we went on to win that game. Yeah. But obviously when you lose the game... It then, it then people would say, oh, if only that that yeah. penalty had gone." You yeah. know, um, it's a special talent, isn't it? You know, and, and there are and there are some people who've got a great. I mean, James Tavernier is one that that comes to mind. Jamie McGrath recently for for Saint Mirren. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 as much about holding your nerve as anything else, Richard. I'm looking at you. I and wouldn't I'm thinking, say. Are you? A, I wouldn't say it's a, a talent. Penalty, I are you a penalty possess. taker? What I do like the most is the fact that when you know you kind of. It, I've only taken I've taken three penalties I've scored two uh, missed one and I've only taken them in shootouts but what I do love is when the, the manager's asking round who wants to take a penalty and you put your hand up and he just like ignores me he just looks past MBL. <laughs> anyone else anyone ah oh, right okay for you have one and then the sheer I don't know disbelief almost when they see me up there in the penalty spot but it's 
I the last one I took was just in a cup game with Morton didn't really really uh, mean that much but I'm just a head down and hit it hard and you know hopefully the goalie get, guess either goes the wrong way or he, it's too powerful for it to go in but um, successful penalty is if you hit the net. Do you know what's interesting? Sometimes when it does go to a penalty shootout, and you see the you see the the manager come over, and he's like this almost right. We've got five penalties. Who wants to take one? And you see defenders put their arms up before wingers and yeah. midfielders. Generally, the strikers would say, "Yeah, I'll take one. I'll take one." And you feel you feel comfortable in taking it, <laughs> confident, you know, giving him a penalty. But then you look at the five that take it. You've got a right back or a centre half or. You know, and and generally midfield players technically, technically, you know, should be able to pass well and strike the ball and place it where they want to. They tend to not to take it. It's probably yeah. not because you're not confident. It's probably because they're frightened to lose. Yeah. No, 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 no one was escaping like, last night. Last night, that's my worst nightmare. <laughs> you go right. I'll take the eighth penalty, thinking yeah. oh, this is never going to happen. That's when you see the character of your players as well. By the way, who wants to take one? Who wants to put his hand up? Yeah. And take one. Who wants to take responsibility? Yeah, but I like I like the 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 thought of you know you asking the manager saying to you you know right volunteers put your hand right okay forget the volunteers I'm going to pick the five because <laughs> I don't want Foster taking one that is a certainty sixty six percent record uh, yeah bad. true true better yeah, than mine yeah yeah good numbers good figures <laughs> only three penalties mind you um, but I mean that that question that I posed right at the top of the show what's your favourite shootout well I guess for most people in the here and now. Um, it's going to be Scotland, isn't it, in in Belgrade, which yeah. was which was something special. Yeah, it was you know obviously to get through both games and, and shootouts, but that one was, I think, what makes it even better. You know, yes, we qualified, and of course that's the kind of pinnacle. But it's just David Marshall's reaction because obviously <laughs> he he saves it. And I don't know whether he's thinking did I move early there or whatever it was, but the, the, the kind of that second pause where he's looking at the referee, just obviously praying, please don't make him hit it again, um, and then. You know, thankfully for him and for us, it um, it was legitimate, a great save and yeah, <coughs> great night. You can every, I think every Scottish fan watching that would have had a massive cheer when he saved that, just because you're so used to Scotland kind of getting to that point and being right in the cusp of something, and then you know the gap penalty going in, and then Scotland missing the next one and going out. That's typically what's happened with Scotland, you know, um, over the last twenty years or so. So you're just almost expecting that, but when when he makes that save and you know you're going to the Euros, it's you know, it must have been amazing for the players on the pitch, but it was great for us watching. It was the night uh, David Marshall became a national hero, of course. Um, Ryan Christie probably as well because of his after-match interview uh, when he broke down in tears and, and everybody absolutely loved that moment as well. It was it was raw emotion and it was wonderful. And we're going to hear on the show tonight, back at six, uh, from somebody who also uh, had an emotional moment in front of the cameras. That was last weekend. It was the, it was the Scottish Cup final. It was David Wotherspoon uh, and what a performance he turned in we'll be talking to him later on he's a Perth lad he's a local lad um, and he's got three it's amazing isn't it when you think about St Johnston John and the budget they're on obviously uh, Richard played there um, you know to, to have three winners medals three cup winners in the space of seven years yeah exceptional absolutely exceptional really to go back to Tommy Wright and of course now Callum Davidson as well but it's great it's great that uh, David Weatherspoon's going to come on and have a chat with us been at the club for eight years you know, vast experience, and I'm sure he's uh, he's delighted to to have been so successful while while he's been there. And we're relying on you winding him up, of course, Richard. You will have stories that he won't want to hear, presumably, and uh, you'll be able to bring those to bear. Ah, is, he, is he a clean cut lad? Yeah, he's very ah, clean cut, well spoken, well mannered, uh, relatively quiet. Um, yeah, he's not. You know, he's he's sen- he's he's too sensible almost to to be your typical football player. So 
He doesn't get himself involved in, in, in silly things. We're also speaking um, in a few minutes' time, actually, to Gary Dicker, the Kilmarnock captain who's just been released uh, by the Rugby Park Club. I mean, it's it's that time of year, isn't it? It's that, it's that stage of the season um, where we're constantly finding out about managers. I mean, there's been so much manager movement of late. There'll be loads of, of player movement, a massive clear-out, of course, at Killy. Um, and some breaking news uh, this afternoon that Michael Gardine is going to be is going to be leaving Ross County, Richard, another of your old old clubs, which which is pretty surprising when you think about what he's done over the piece with them and pretty recently as well. Yeah, I mean, he scored the goal two weeks ago that effectively kept him up. He's the record goal scorer, the record appearance holder, um, and essentially dropped him like a hot brick um, via Zoom. I'm uh, led to believe if you know what I've been reading is is right which is ridiculous. You know, a player that's done so much for that club, a player who could still do it for that club, yeah. um, could still play in the Premier League next season as he showed this season. And I don't know, I just, I think we everybody talks about loyalty in football. There's no loyalty in football. No wonder, because as soon as a club doesn't want you, they just, you know, discard you if you're an empty Chris Packett. And I just think it's, it's just, it's horrible for him because he, you know, he loves the club, he loves being up there, he loves that part of the world. Um, and he's been an, incredible servant for the club and like I say that it comes to the point where you know I think if you're going to do if you're going to release someone like Michael Gardine at this stage you know do it face to face bring him in and not just do it over a Zoom call you know we're, we're beyond that now we, you're allowed to meet face to face you're allowed to do all these things and it's just you know I I, I know he must be kind of in a bit of pain right now thinking about it because it's been such a big part of his life you know yeah. he's, he's won the League Cup there he's won the Championship there um, and then just to be told and by the way I think this is the first time that the club have said it and and since the end of the season, so what's that's been nearly yeah. two weeks. Now I know they've changed, they're changing over the manager or whatever. But you know, I think I think players deserve better than that. I think they deserve to know what their future holds, um, especially someone like him who's done so much for the club. And I think it's a really uh, important time, isn't it, uh, to treat people properly uh, because of the last year and a half. Uh, that we've been through uh, it's probably more important than ever uh, to take people's emotions and feelings into contention and making these decisions and making the communication with them to, to let them know uh, after the break we're going to be talking to a man who is on the way out five years at Rugby Park he was the captain at Killy Gary Dicker on the way The Go Radio Football Show talking football first listen live weeknights from five that went well this is the Go Radio Football Show for a Thursday. Rob McLean, Richard Foster, John Hartson at your service. Get involved in the football conversation. 0808 08, 08, 17, 17 700. And at Go Football Show, if you want to get in touch on the socials, uh, we're talking about Scott McTominay's performance last night in Gdansk in the Europa League final. Uh, hopefully a happy omen ahead of the Euros for Scotland uh, performing at that level. Uh, what about penalties? What did you think about the quality of the penalties last night? What did you think about the quality of the two hours that went before uh, Man United beaten by Villarreal? And for Unai Emery, it's four Europa League wins, three with Sevilla and last night with uh, Villarreal. Uh, all the managerial movement, what are you thinking? Who's going to get that Dundee United job? 
When's the Celtic job going to be filled? Because uh, they've been uh, telling us about their pre-season arrangements. They've been telling us about the season ticket arrangements. Still no announcement about a new manager. I had high hopes, John Hartson, that we were going to get through two hours without mentioning the EH words. Uh, But uh, we'll probably fail miserably on that count, I would imagine. Let's talk to Gary Dicker, the Kilmarnock captain. Uh, How are you, Gary? In fact, uh, Gary... No problem. Uh, Gary, hi. Oh yeah, how's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good to good to talk to you. Um, and and sad to hear that you're leaving Killy after after five years. Yeah, it's been uh, obviously not the end, and anybody wanted myself, the club, the fans included. But um, yeah, no, it's been a it's been a it's been a tough few days. I think for everyone involved, the club, and also obviously the boys who are leaving. But um, had some great times there as well, um, which you've got to remember. But no, it's just it's just hard the way it ends. To be honest with you, who are the people? Some of the people, some some we've probably never heard of that 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 you will miss. You know, some of the people behind the scenes that you that you really bond with when you've been at a club for that long. Yeah, you know, you obviously you've got the groundsman, Gal and Yeti, Kev the kit man. You've got the girls that do do the lunch and the breakfast every day. Um, you've got Monty, who's a club legend there as well, who all do his part. You've got Carla, the Clay. You've got people there that are absolutely love Kilmarnock and it's their life. Um, and it's obviously heartbreaking for them, obviously, what's going on at the club. And hopefully, all of them are safe next year with their jobs um, and stuff like that. Because they're the people that usually get forgotten about when, uh, when stuff goes wrong at a football club. Did you expect that this was it, uh, Gary, or? Were you expecting to to be staying on? Did you want to stay on with Kelly a bit longer? Um, to be honest with you, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, there's so much going on at a football club, and you're in the position you're in. Um, I'm at an age where it was one of them. I just wanted the club to be all right and the club to stay up. So, um, I didn't really think about it. To be honest with you, I know that might might sound crazy, but we just wanted to stay up uh, so much and then obviously yeah it's, it's upsetting when you're leaving a football club but you fully understand that that's part of the job and you can see why as well with the club they're probably going to try go a different direction next year and um, and hopefully rebuild and, and get the squad uh, aged down a little bit because we were we were quite quite old the lads that were there so um, no listen you're never shocked or upset did you see it coming? Yeah, you always see stuff coming. I don't think I'm naive enough not to see that coming with what happened. But um, that's always sad, as I say. It was it was really painful on Monday night um, at Rugby Park, um, the, the game against Dundee. Um, you scored a penalty. You, you kind of brought it back to life or tried to the team, but it was 4-2 in aggregate at that stage and, and it was probably mission impossible. And I guess the performance over the two legs uh, was pretty miserable from a Kilmarnock point of view, and and maybe all the more so for you because you weren't you weren't involved in the in the second leg, uh, and that must have been absolute agony to be watching and not to be able to do anything about it. Yeah, um, I don't think we got relegated because of them two games. Listen, we weren't good enough over thirty eight games in the season. That's a bonus getting two extra games. Um, and as I touched on in other interviews, yeah, we did. It felt like we went down with a bit of a whimper in them two games, and that's probably the hardest thing to do or accept as a footballer. We 
we didn't do enough in them two games. But listen, we had 38 games where we had more than enough chances uh, to stay up. So you usually do get what you deserve in football. And credit to Dundee, they were better off the two legs and deserved to go up. But um, touching on that, you obviously missing the last game. Um, it was, as, as you, anyone I know is involved in football, it's a hell of a lot worse watching a game of football than being involved in a game of football. So it wasn't a nice night, obviously, and the game was kind of dead and buried after the first 15, 20 minutes. Gary, um, you're only 33 years of age, which obviously is not old in with, with football today um, in terms of players playing longer. How, how are you feeling um, physically? And uh, I assume that you, you're going to continue to play. You still feel good enough to go, to go and play? Yeah, I think I think obviously with this season and obviously with COVID and it's kind of like two seasons been in one. I think I think just mentally, obviously when you know if you're not winning games of football, uh, it's more draining. But physically, yeah, I feel fine. Um, but I think after what's gone on, it is a bit raw and sometimes you I don't want to make a knee jerk reaction to something and I'm just enjoying just probably switching off from it all. Um, and just and just relaxing for a few days and and not having the stress that comes with all that um, and it's kind of been taken away. So I'm just going to sit back and obviously speak to my family as well. I've been away from my family as well for a long time and they've had so many sacrifices as well. So I'm going to take my time at what I do, but physically, yeah, I feel fine. That's, that's why I said you're going to continue to play, Gary. If you don't realise this, I, I'm, I'm trying to get clubs interest, interested in you over the phone, over the radio. You know? John, John Hudson's looking I'm, for I'm, a percentage I'm, 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 here, Gary. I'm, I'm trying to put you out there, mate. You know, I, I know what you can do. I've seen you play lots of times. So, yeah, continue to play if you feel fit enough to do so. Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, you've obviously retired yourself and I spoke to a few people that have, that have retired as well and they do always say play as long as you can um, you're young compared to Berkey exactly <laughs> in fairness Berkey yeah. nah Berkey's Berkey's another great example uh, he's one of them players that listen you won't know whether he was 27 or 37 Berkey the way he plays so he's got plenty of life left in, his, in them legs so it's just it's just weighing it all up as well I don't want to get to a stage as well where football retires me and you're hanging on and you're thinking you can do better than you can, but I'm not at that stage yet at all. But um, I just think, well, obviously, no fans as well this year. It's just added to a lot of things as well, and maybe I don't want to go out on a whimper like that. So um, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely well able. I feel good enough to keep playing. It's going to be a massive rebuild, Richard. Ob- obviously, and, and as Gary said in that first leg up at Dens, I think six of the eleven that started were 33. Or over, so that that's an obvious place, I suppose, to start if you're if you're rebuilding. It is, but you need to be careful because you know, and I'm kind of on Gary's side here. I'm two years older than him, so um, you do need experience. And the championship's a tough, tough league. And I, I don't think you know, I might be proved wrong if if any team does it, but I don't think you win the championship with, with you know 19, 20, 21 year olds. I think you do need to mix your squad and have a balance in the squad. Um, but yeah, it, it tends to be that the older you get, you know, the, if the club are going to change, that you guys are the first guys to to be called, if you will. You know, we're talking about Michael Gardner at Ross County a moment ago, and I just think that, you know, age is always something that's thrown at you. But if you can cover the yards and you can do the distance and you can compete with all the younger players in the squad, your age shouldn't really matter until 
it's stopping you doing your job. So, you know, Gary says he feels fit. He's able to do the work he's asked of him. But, you know, he's one of the ones to be let go. So, you know, Kilmarnock might rue that if, if they take in younger players and it doesn't go well for them next season. You know, I might be proved wrong and, and Kilmarnock might sign a lot of young players and go on and, and, you know, win the league and get back into the Premiership. You never know. But I think you do need to be careful when you're you're having such big changes that you don't just get rid of all the older ones because it might kind of blow up in your face. I think, um, I mean, you made you made the the point and and uh, very accurately, Harry, as well that that this was not decided over two playoff games, which were, uh, I guess, very much in the spotlight, and and I guess a lot of people were pretty shocked that Kilmarnock didn't really deliver. But but you do look back over the whole season, and I think Tommy Wright sort of explained that thirty eight league games plus the plus the two in the in the playoff final, and only and I think twenty four defeats in that time. So. So I guess it's been coming from a long way out. Yeah, listen, you can look at, you can spin stuff. I think St. Johnson won one more game than us in the league this year. So you can spin yeah. it both ways. We just haven't, we probably haven't drilled enough games. Um, so, um, as I said, you get what you deserve in football. We hadn't won enough games, but we hadn't just probably, we didn't really have any games this year where you thought, how have we won that game? Um Whereas over the years, sometimes you might have two or three of them. You know, when you come off the park, you think, well, we've done well to win there. We always have to work, it seemed, that extra bit harder to get a win. And then if we weren't getting a win, it was either a defeat. We weren't picking up draws here and there that, that keep you in the league. Um, and as I said, we had 38 games and obviously we lost that many. But we didn't just grind out a draw when you haven't been playing well or you nick a win when you're yeah. not doing great. And it comes back to bite you. It's been a fair old roller coaster, hasn't it? Because, I mean, it's almost exactly two years ago that Stevie Clark was on the pitch and you were all on the pitch celebrating qualifying for Europe. Uh, and it's amazing. And it's, I guess, a, a warning to lots of other teams and, and players as well about how quickly, how dramatically things can change. Yeah, I think, listen, the minute you stand still and you think you're cracked or you think the club's going one way, it can, it can shoot the opposite way. Um, I think Richard touched on it. I think recruitment's going to be massive. It probably has been. That's no disrespect to the lads that have come in over the last two years. But we, um, when we finished third, obviously we've had two or three managers since then, which isn't good. And you're getting big turnover of players. We probably had too many loan players, uh, and you can't really get the bond. And obviously COVID again this year. Then as well, you have a lot of lads that have moved up, and it's been tough for them moving up. So. They're all excuses as well as you go along the way. But um, I think, yeah, I think it can change pretty quickly. Listen, there's been bigger clubs that have gone down with bigger budgets and stuff like that. So it shouldn't shock you in football, to be honest. And um, it's happened to bigger clubs over the years with Hearts, Dundee United and stuff like that. So the club, the club is in good hands, in fairness, with the owners there. And they will back the manager as much as they can. And they just need to get the recruitment right and try to get out of that league as quick as possible. Yeah, I mean, Billy Bowie's put a lot of money in and, and uh, a lot of passion in as well. And uh, it seems as if the, the budget is going to be uh, retained in a bid to to get straight back out of the, the, the championship. Th- those were happy days with, with Stevie Clark in charge, weren't they? What's he got uh, as a manager, Gary? Um, I think the lads will agree. There's some times where you have a manager and they've just got that that certain quality about them that no matter what they do or say, um, how do you make you feel without... I think his biggest 
thing was how he made you feel without saying or doing anything. And it's hard to explain that in a way, whereas it was having that figure where you just wanted to do well and you believed in exactly what he was making you do. And you, It's the buy-in factor as a player. and um, It was just that effect. And he, he wouldn't be going around high-fiving anyone or patting you on the back. You never knew where you stood with him. And that was a big quality as a player for me. You never come in and say, what a win that was. And that's when we, if we beat Celtic or Rangers, anyone, he'd just walk in and just little stuff like that. He never really spoke too much after a game because he came in one day and he said, I think it was playing Hibs away and it was 5-4, that crazy game. And he just said, you know what? Everyone's always too emotional after a game. I'll speak to you tomorrow. And he'd done that ever since that day. he just done that. Whether we win, lose or draw, he'd say, I'll see you tomorrow. And he probably dissect it himself. And it is because you can come in after a game and scream and shout and lose people straight away. And he was, he was just kept things so simple. But the simple things are the hardest to do in football because everyone wants to complicate things. And he had a way of playing and a style of playing. And it was, it was just repetition of that. And I think you could see when we did play. And I think Scotland are starting to see it now. I think at first, it's quite hard from going in and not being able to work all the time because he is hands-on. He's not a manager. He's a he's a coach and a manager. So I think Scotland, the longer he's with Scotland, they're only going to get better. And that's a sign of a good manager. And it is getting better, Richard, isn't it? Because it, some of those games were pretty painful to watch uh, with Stevie Clark initially in charge at Scotland. But um, he always knew what he was doing and we just had to keep the faith. Yeah, I think it's, you know, club management is different from, from international management. And at the club, as Gary's talking about there, he comes in with a how he wants to work and everybody buys into it because everybody's on the same page. But you're then collecting 20-odd players from all different, you know, variations of way. Some want to play and, and some want to pass it from the back, some want to go long and all different variations. So it's it's hard for him to then get his message across collectively to, to a bigger group of, of guys coming in from all over the place. But yeah, you're right, I think... The way he plays, he sets up to be difficult to beat, and he allows the other team to have a lot of possession. And you maybe hit them on the counter attack. Kamarnik, when they you know qualify for Europe, were excellent at it. But you've, we've got a lot of players in the Scotland team who are probably thinking, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a better player than that. I can go and get on the ball and play and pass. And, and I think it was just that little adjustment period, both from the manager and I think he's kind of. I do think Scotland try and play a bit more than they did before. And similarly, the players have obviously realised, well, right, you know, he knows what he's doing. He, he keeps us structured. We're difficult to beat um, and if we can add a bit of quality to that which they have done of late then you know it does look brighter for the future Gary you wouldn't have chosen for it to, to end this way but you've had to you'll take away some really special memories I would imagine from Kilmarnock yeah definitely I think you touched on that last game of the season when we finished third um, against Rangers it was it was just one of them days in your career that you kind of knew what was going to happen even the gaffer was in was I'm sure he was banned. He was up in the stand and we we're playing Rangers and we needed to bet I think the matcher beat Aberdeen score and he just had that about him. We just knew we were gonna win. Uh, in a strange way and that belief he had in us as a group and we had in him. So I think that day, I think that'll always live long in my memory, to be honest. It was just the way it finished, the last minute penalty by Brophy and stuff like that and the crowd there that day and even his speech, you might Ask about managers when he spoke. He was the only manager that I probably had in my career that I listened to every every press conference that he'd done at the club. <laughs> yeah. Any interview he'd done, I was always interested to hear what he had to say. And 
he wasn't one for just using the cliches like they had in football. He was always interesting to speak to and uh, and someone who I'll obviously try and learn from myself and take into my own career for later on if I if I do go down that coaching role. Thanks for joining us on the show, Gary. And, Cheers, and Gary. Uh, well, I, th- I think the the yeah. Killy the Killy fans would certainly say you're going to you're going to take a hell of a lot of replacing uh, in that engine room of the team, and that's probably the greatest tribute uh, we could give you. Had some special times, and uh, we wish you all the very best in the future. Cheers! Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers, Cheers, bro. Cheers Gary. You. Cheers. Cheers. The Go Radio Football Show, talking football first. Listen live weeknights from five. I was texting uh, Paul Cooney during last night's uh, Go Radio Football Show, giving him a stick about uh, doing the travel, not realising, of course, that it was going to be me uh, tonight who was taking on that responsibility. Uh, the news is not too many problems out there, he said, being pretty non-specific about it. Uh, but there is still that snarl up, which is uh, very close and personal to me on the 881 Glasgow Road. Richard Foster, you know that spot as well. It's been blocked off forever. What's happening there? Can you can you fill us in? Well, no, I no, wish they'd it, fill it, it in. Uh, they need to fill it in because there's still a big, massive hole in the road, and I believe that it's, it's going to be um, until October time. But they haven't actually officially come out and told us how long it's going to be right. offline for, if you will. But it's um, yeah, it's. It's so annoying and just the diverted traffic causes mayhem at kind of at peak times. Yeah. Well, at least that was some information. Everything okay in the East Linton area? Well, as long as the Edinburgh bypass on the M8 to Edinburgh is clear, you know, I'm not so fast what's going on in Glasgow. <laughs> and that's you up to date, so go. <laughs> Good to have you with us on the Thursday edition of the Go Radio Football Show. It's John Hartson, it's Richard Foster, it's Rob McLean. We heard uh, just before the break there from the outgoing Kilmarnock captain, uh, Ganny Dicker. John, giving us a very interesting insight into how Stevie Clark works. Yeah, it was. It was a really good insight um, into the uh, the national boss, obviously Scotland manager, um, Stevie. To me, has always come across as a little bit of an introvert. Um, very very guarded with what he says clever uh, yeah. when he's got something to say he'll get it across in a, in a certain way um, I've met him I've met Steve Clark I think we did one of the finals with Steve Clark yeah. he was a guest on in the Scottish uh, Cup yeah, final but yeah but I can't say I, I, I know the man too well um, and I remember as well three or four months ago when I first came on the Go Radio show we were going through Celtic at the time and everything else and you said to me uh, who would be your personal choice mm-hmm. and I, I, I went through three or four different managers and actually said Steve Clark would have been my number one uh, obviously he was involved with the Euros he's qualified um, and I think he's come out and said look I'm concentrating on this and he's probably you know nowhere near it now um, because of his uh, role obviously he wants to take that as serious as he can you realise we're in danger of mentioning Eddie Howe now no, and, I won't be mentioning And I will have lost the bet. I know what you mean. But, you know, he would have been a great fit. I know um, it's all irrelevant now and it's all irrespective, mm. you know. There's a lot of Celtic fans, I think, you know, would still would still happily have Stevie Clark after the Euros. Well, possibly, if they haven't appointed anybody. Yeah, I know. Course, I realise you know, the ball yeah. is in the net in terms of Eddie Howe, but I think as this has been going on and on and on, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Celtic fans, you know, Stevie, Stevie Clark, you just have to look at the the magical effect that he seems to have at clubs. Yeah, and the, what would interest me the most is whether he changed, well, he would have to change the, kind of the way he sets up and the way he plays because, of course, he, he sets up very defensively and his teams are always well-organised and the hit teams in the counter-attack and, you know, 
when Kilmarnock finished third, they could play football, they were good football players. Um, they knew the game well, kind of having guys like Burke and, and Gary Dicker on the, on the pitch. But it would be, you know, you're not you're not going to sit nine men behind the ball when you're you're Celtic are at home to you know uh, Ross County, for example. So how mm-hmm. how would how would that dynamic change? And it would be really interesting to see how he would do it, and um, you know if he would fit in as well as John thinks he would. I mean, I think he's he's a good enough coach, he's an intelligent enough man to adapt to obviously the players that he has at his disposal. But it would have been interesting, you know, for me personally, just to look at that and see how he would have done it and how he would have changed his style. Um, because obviously, like I said, Celtic, you can't you can't sit men behind the ball, doesn't matter who you're playing. But the dynamics of football generally are you're strong defensively. Yeah. You don't concede. Um, you, you head it in both boxes, you know, uh, and then you play on the front foot and you play attacking, counter-attacking football with good players. Yeah. Good midfield players that can create. You get wide men who can deliver the and and support the front and get service into the front men, and you get yourself a couple of decent strikers who take you up the leagues because strikers take you up the leagues with their goals. Yeah. So it's not rocket science. No. It's just getting that in that formula and that balance in a team. But if you started there with defensively, you've got to defend properly. Otherwise, if you're conceding goals, whether it's through set pieces or general play, you've got a problem. You've got to get that defense solid. And that's what Steve Clark has tended to do at, at the clubs he's been at. And presumably, when he walked in the door at Kilmarnock, it depends on what you've got. You, you make the best of what you've got, well, presumably, well, as well. You know, I would imagine, you know, from the outside looking in, that appears to be his kind of Midas touch. You know, he can he can make players kind of perform better than they were previously. You know, because with all respect, look at Stephen O'Donnell and how kind of leaps and bounds he's made. You know, he was kind of... I came up back up from England, wasn't really getting a game, played in the Kilmarnock side, and he's now the national right back. Mm. You know, so I think, you know, he can he can bring players on, he can get the best out of players. He can, you know, you hear Gary Dicker talking about it. He just he just makes you feel good. He makes you have that confidence in yourself and the team and in what he's buying into. So that's that's obviously what he's very very good at. And you look, he took a Kilmarnock team who were kind of a bit all over the place. I think with all the loans and stuff that they had at the time, and he kind of he managed to condense them down and 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 make them into. You know, a top three side, obviously. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's definitely got exceptional quality as a manager and a coach, and his man management skills are obviously very, very good as well. And I think that's probably the key to to the Scotland situation as well—the fact that he can manage a big group of players. Because everything I've heard about him from people who talk about him, they always say that at any club, the hardest people to manage are the guys that don't play, and he seemed to manage them very, very well. Because even the ones that didn't play a lot for him still can't speak highly enough of him. And that's, yeah. that's a testament to him, I suppose. Yeah, and you, John, you used the phrase, you know, he speaks when he's got something to say. Mm. And what that means, of course, is that it has much more impact, doesn't it? Because when he does speak, you know you better be listening because this is important. Um, and he doesn't speak for the, the case, for the sake of speaking. Mm. I mean, Gary Gary was speaking about, Gary said he listened to every press conference he gave, which which is a, a bit scary. But, but I understand he, he's looking to learn the rudiments of, of management, I guess, and learning from one of the best and I, I remember Stevie Clark's first press conference when he got the Kilmarnock job and he wasn't telling people what they wanted to hear. He wasn't chasing rainbows. He was actually just being very realistic about... It, it was positive, but it was also realistic at the same time. And and, 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 I, and I get what Gary was saying because, you know, he is, he is well worth listening to. Yeah, well, less is more. That's what they say, don't they? Yeah. Um, doesn't give an awful lot away. He might be bursting with pride inside Steve Clark, but he's still very cool, calm, collected when he speaks. He he uses the, the correct words. He doesn't get too excited, doesn't get too down. Um, and that has an effect on the team 
because the team will look at how the manager talks to you, how the manager reacts to different results, defeats, and it's a little bit like Martin O'Neill, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Um, I heard Gary saying there, you never quite knew, didn't give you an awful lot of praise, but when Martin did give you praise, when, when you come and he singled you out, you had to be exceptional, you know, because... You know, at that particular time, you know, you had to be at your game every week. You had to be on it all the time. So he'd be praising people all the time. But if he did, if he did single you out and give you praise, you you knew you that you doing it. You know, it's going to be interesting uh, what Kilmarnock do in the summer. Obviously, they're going to be in the same league as Partick Thistle. Your team, uh, Richard, next season, uh, you're on the way up. They're on the way down. Uh, there's going to be a massive rebuild, which is a great opportunity for Kilmarnock in many ways. With so many players out of contract, it means that, that you can change it around relatively inexpensively but it's going to be interesting to see and you you said this what the balance is you have to get the balance right you can't just throw in three or four kids from the academy and, and hope it's going to work uh, and and it's interesting to, to, to think and to talk about Dundee United and what's going to happen there uh, we don't know yet Mickey Mellon is gone after one season in charge uh, the heavy rumour seems to be that uh, Tom Courts who's impressed as their head of tactical performance at the youth academy he's going to be the guy who's going to come in uh, and take the team and, and you would imagine uh, if that's the case, then it's going to be Dundee United shifting their balance towards uh, introducing a lot more youngsters to the team. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I don't even understand what that job title was. <laughs> the it's head good, of tactical, it's a good one, though, isn't it? It's a great title. Yeah. I don't even know what it means. It's quite a big business card, I think, <laughs> um, to get all that in. But yeah, I think, and I think that you know, this might you know, people may think, oh, you're just saying this because you're older. But I don't just mean that you can't rely on kids because you know they're not good enough. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to to ask, you know, 15, have a couple of senior players and have 15, 16 kids at a club and go, right, you need you guys need to play well every week because we need to get up this league. You know, these guys are coming in as young players and they need to have players around them that they can learn from and they need to have players that they can lean on. And typically, the young younger players don't have the same consistency levels. So they need to be brought in and out of the team when they need freshened up and when they need a rest and that's important for their development and that's one of the reasons why it's almost not fair on them as well to go right guys well yeah you're 22 years old you've not really played many games but we're going to need you to help us win this league so you do need that balance you do need the experienced pros in there um, you know and Kamarnik have got yeah, they have got an ageing squad at the moment or they had an ageing squad so they've got a, a handful of they've got enough older players that if, if Tommy thinks that they're important enough to the squad he can keep them and maybe if, if you're keeping senior players and you know that they're not going to play every week but they have a good influence on the younger dressing room then sometimes that's what you need to do and I think um, you're talking about Dundee United and yes it, it certainly looks like if they're bringing in some guy from the youth academy they'll probably go with youth but again it's the same for them you know Dundee United they're a massive club and They've probably got aspirations to be in the top six next season. And I think you need older pros in there with the young kids that they can learn from. It's going to be a big season uh, next season, you would imagine, for Dundee United, having uh, been promoted a year ago and they've managed to re-establish themselves in the top flight. Uh, but they will expect better uh, next season and it's obviously going to be a crucial appointment for them to be making. It's Richard Foster and John Hartson with Rob McLean on the Go Radio Football Show with OPC Energy Limited on a Thursday evening and you can be part of it too. 0808 17 17 700. The Go Radio Football Show. Talking football first. Listen live weeknights from 5. 
I'm joined now by Gary from OPC Energy. Gary, what a job you did out there today. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. You saw the customers' faces when that boiler went in. It was a really special moment. And what about the overall performance? Unreal. You, you could really feel the heat out there. I'm delighted with the result and we move on to the next one. Thanks, Gary. Come on! For more information on boiler upgrades, heat pumps and more, visit opc-ltd.uk. Get ahead of the game with OPC Energy. The Go Radio Football Show. Talking football first. Listen live weeknights from five. It's the draw for the League Cup group stages uh, tomorrow. And it's a bit of a shock when you find out, Richard Foster, that uh, the group games are beginning on the 10th or 11th of July. It doesn't feel too far away, does it? No, it certainly does not, especially when you're back in pre-season on the 15th of June, yeah. which is should still be holiday time. Should, yeah. That's round about the time you start thinking, all right, I need to go and start running again and get my body ready for pre-season. But I've already, I was in the gym on Monday doing a run, which is the earliest ever, 24th of May, doing a run to go back pre-season. Yeah. And I'm not getting any younger, Rob. You know what well, I mean? Well, so, none of us are. How did you cope with that mad schedule as it was? It was completely bananas, wasn't it? It was, um, so first time in my career that I played Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday. But I actually, actually felt stronger as the games went on. We had two games on a Thursday night after playing Saturday, Tuesday. And we beat Montrose 5-0 and we beat Falkirk 5-0. So I think it was just because yes they were very much condensed but we only played a 22 league season you know a game season so um, the games came thick and fast toward the end but I think the fact that we probably helped us that we, because we were going for promotion trying to win the league and stuff um, but yeah I coped with them fine and I think I actually felt stronger the more games and I played because you know you play games but you don't train so you just kind of you go and you know you play Tuesday night you go on Wednesday and jog and stretch and then you go for the game Thursday so it's it's not as it wasn't as bad as it first sounded to me when I first seen the fixtures. I thought there ain't no way I'm getting through them, but um, thankfully I'm, uh, my body managed to hold up. And uh, the players now, Richard, you know, when you go at the end of the season, you don't get an awful time off because of these early league cup uh, qualif- games, group games. What you, do the players? They get programs and things now, don't they? To take over, and then when they come back, they're in half decent shape. You don't really do an awful lot of long running, I would think. You just get the ball out early on in pre-season. Yeah, usually, um, yeah, the, the, the kind of more recent pre-seasons have certainly been that. Like, you kind of, you'll do a bit of running, um, but never never more than four minutes. Are and the you, boys good? Will they stick to them programmes? Will they be tested when I, they come back? Yeah, well, I think the the first day back in on the 15th, we're doing the yo-yo test. Right. So you'll do that kind of right at the start and then you'll do it a couple of weeks later to make mm-hmm. sure you've improved. And um, yeah, so you'll... And the, the management team and that will be looking to make sure you get to a certain level. Um, but, you know, kind of the older ones, you always leave a little bit in the tank so then the next time you do it, you can get even further and make it look like you're better. But it's funny when you watch the young ones and, the, the you know, they go all out for the first, the first yo-yo test. You think, mate, you're going to be doing that again in three weeks and you need to beat that score that you just got. So, um, yeah, I always, always kind of hang, hang back a little bit and, and then make sure I've got a little bit left in the tank. But no... Pre-season is never an never a enjoyable time for, for football players, but it's it's better now because you get the ball out much sooner. I mean, the pre-seasons we used to do under Jimmy Caldwood, you'd cover a fair amount of ground, certainly. News in the course of today, John, that, that Tottenham are in contact with Mauricio Pochettino, which is interesting. Um, it may be people jumping to conclusions or it may be people thinking uh, that it would be very timely to have him back at Tottenham. He was sacked in 2019 after five years in charge at Spurs. He's currently the PSG head coach, of course. Uh, PSG failed to win the French title this season. They lost to Man City in the Champions League semi-finals. And of course, Tottenham sacked 
Jose Mourinho last month. There is a, a situation vacant. Ryan Mason has been uh, temporarily in charge there. What about Pochettino uh, coming back to Tottenham? Well, when he was at Spurs, he, he oversaw um, a, a lot of young players, you know, coming through the likes of Deli Ali, um, the likes of Kieran Trippier, and they were fantastic under him. Hence, finishing second in the Premier League and reaching the the Champions League final where they lost to Liverpool. So he did really, really well. I think one of the reasons that um, he he was relieved of his duties at Spurs was because he wasn't successful enough. I think they felt that he should have won the the Premier League and they should have played a lot better in the Champions League final where they lost to mm. Liverpool. Then he leaves the club. He's been linked with many a clubs, hasn't he? Uh, eventually, he took a job at PSG they have failed to league. Uh, they have failed to win league un, mm-hmm. um, and they've also beautiful got, French pronunciation. Oh, thank there. you. I've been practicing that all day. Yeah, and uh, and they went out to Man- Manchester City in the semi final of the um, the Champions League. So I don't know what the situation is. Did he sign a short term contract at PSG? Will Will Spurs have to buy him out if he's gone? If he's signed a four or five year, we're not party to that. But he's certainly up there with you know with the the top top draw managers around the world. Yep. Um and Spurs are actively looking for a, looking for another manager. They know him, him and Daniel Levy know each other ever so well. Will he go back? Um or has he got aspirations to take PSG on as a Champions League winners? They're desperate by the way, like yeah. Man City to win yeah. you know the biggest trophy in European football, the champ the Champions League trophy. So um, and if he goes back there, of course, it might mean that Harry Kane, I think the odds on Harry Kane leaving have changed with all the speculation uh, going on um, around uh, Mauricio Pochettino at the moment. Anyway, we'll come back to that in the show. Uh, it's Rob McLean, it's John Harson, it's Richard Foster. Richard, how would you like to speak to David Wotherspoon? Would that be high on your wish list at it the moment? It certainly would, it certainly would, yeah. David, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Just as well he didn't say no there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Even indeed. Evening, Fozzy. Nice to hear your voice. I, I did text you earlier on and ask how your head was. Has it, has it been uh, party time even for an athlete like yourself? <laughs> um, I mean, we we had a good party on Saturday night and then uh, unfortunately for me, I had to get back into daddy duties uh, oh, no. straight away on the Sunday. Um, Ouch. And I'm going, I'm, I might, I'm going away with Canada next week as well. Right. So uh, I had I've only got a week off, so it's, uh, it's a case of just um, looking after the family as much as I can and spend time with them uh, before I head away. Loved your interview, David, uh, after the match. Um, really emotional, rightly so. Uh, you did drop the f bomb at one stage. <laughs> I see. I seem to recall. Um, I actually didn't notice it the first time, and I didn't notice until somebody apologised for it um, because uh, you must have disguised it. Uh, pretty well uh, but you were you were hugely emotional and, and no great surprise um, a man who's now won three uh, cup competitions inside seven years it's incredible isn't it? Yeah um, it's some achievement for the club um, obviously I was very emotional I think uh, after the full time whistle everyone was congratulating but I don't think I spoke a word until I, until I got on the camera because <laughs> uh, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't quite get any words out Um that's how I'd describe it anyway. Um but it was just it was just so emotional and uh i I was I was very apologetic for, for what for what I said, but uh I I, I kinda mumbled it under my under my breath a wee bit at the same time. 
Um, so it was, it was. I think I got away with it just. We have to apologize. We have to. We have to apologize for these things constantly. But you, but you do wonder why? Because what what do people expect really? I don't think there was a person in the country that would have bothered that he, he, no. he swore no chance. He, it was. Um, <laughs> it was. I was in the car. So by the time that I heard it on the radio, they'd obviously edited it out. <laughs> um, Surgically removed. Because Amy, Amy messed me straight away going, he's on the TV, he's, he's sworn, and then, and then he can't talk because he's crying. And the, kinda, <laughs> it actually put a smile on my face, David. I, I kid you not, I'm driving up the road with a big smile on my face because, I mean, I said this to you in a text, but if there's if there's one St. Johnson player that deserves to win these things, it was David. You know, he's a St. Johnson fan. And um, and obviously absolutely buzzing for you that you're now the most decorated St. Johnson player ever and well should go down as a, a club legend. I appreciate that very much, uh, and I do appreciate your text that you have sent me uh, recent weeks. Uh, I very much enjoy reading them. <laughs> are they quite? Are they quite lengthy? Well, they're, I, they're a wee bit lengthy, but they're they're meaningful. Basically, is, uh, I used to uh, shout at David quite a lot, so I'm I'm. Are you apologising? <laughs> no, no, basically. I'm not apologising. I'm taking I'm taking some of the credit for ah, the success. Ah, right, okay. So you had to go through those hard he times was... with me behind him, and now he's look at him. Now he's flourishing. <laughs> I know. If only if only it switched me on to the left side a bit earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you, you know, as as Richard said, there you're a local lad, you're a Perth boy, so so this means more to you than 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 most. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know it'll mean a lot to, to every Saints fan out there, but yeah, it means a lot to me uh, growing up in the city of Perth. And, um, I don't know if you've seen any photos in the papers recently, but uh, I've got plenty of, of uh, embarrassing photos of me as a child in my Saints kit, uh, all dressed up in, in my Saints gear. And um, but yeah, it just means it means a hell of a lot to me and and to my family as well. Obviously, growing up in Perth and and supporting the team since I was a kid. So it, it does mean a lot and, and, and will do for years to come. David, I think you've done exceptionally well, two cups this season. How about, you know, when uh, Tommy Wright leaves and obviously he was your manager for so many years, Callum Davison, yes, was was his assistant. Obviously you'd have got to know him, but in terms of the changeover, what what, what has Callum done different? Because obviously you've had a fantastic season um, what is the similarities or has he totally changed it completely and done it his way um, yeah. could you let us in a little bit on that one he's, he's just done it his way mm. um, he's, he's really he's really put a stamp down on his on his uh, philosophies and, and how he wants to play the game and, uh-huh. and how he wants to take training and, and, and man management and everything like that it's completely it's completely different um, but for the other fact is that he knows the club inside out. He knows what works for the club, um, and he knows a lot of people around about the club and involved in it. And it was it was easier that way when he came in because there were so many familiar faces and 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 he knew people and their attitudes and and their um, their capability. Um, and I think he just he, he found a formation that suited suited players best. I think. Mm-hmm. Whose idea was was it for the belly flop across the dressing room floor? <laughs> I don't quite really know, but I'm going to guess it was Stephen McLean. But um, I'm sure I'm sure he'll uh, he'll be the one that was egging him on quite a bit. I think he's probably still in agony, Richard. After that, I think I think he's left his nipples in the Hamden dressing room floor, which is a, which is not a th- an image one wants and to have. Really. And then the concussion as well. I think he thought the door was going to open and it just stayed for yeah. him and. He came to a, a, an abrupt halt, but no, these scenes when you watch these guys celebrating, it was just 
it was brilliant to watch. You know, having worked with Callum as an assistant, having played with David um, and a lot of the other guys, you just it's great when old firm teams, in my opinion, when they don't win the cups and the trophies, and you see something. And what St Johnson have achieved is, you know, I, I, I use the word arguably, but it's probably the best season, Scottish season ever. You know, because when Rangers and Celtic win things, they're expected to win things. They yeah. should win things. They're the biggest clubs. I think it's only Aberdeen that has done one. The double, yeah. yeah. But, 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 but even there in the 80s, they, they Aberdeen were, were, were a big. Some, yeah, were absolutely. They, they yes. were a big. Yeah. They were makes a, the achievement sound yeah. even better. What St. Johnson have done. Um, yeah, where, where would, where, Richard, where would St. Johnson be in a league table of budget? Of of wage bills, where would St Johnston come? Do you think in the top twelve? I'd say about ninth or tenth. Yeah. Having having spoke to the chairman, you know, when I was there and I was a vice captain, I've gone in. Having tried to get some money out of him. Aye, exactly. You know, tighter than two coats of paint. But um, but yeah, so he's he. Their aim every year is to stay in the league, and that and that is genuinely their aim. And and obviously under Tommy and, and um, this they surpassed that. Um, and and then some, and then Calms came in and just kind of blown everything out of the water with this season that they've had here and. You know, it's it's one of those where you, how where do you, where do these guys go from here? Yes, yeah. they'll take their legendary status and rightly so. But you know, next season doesn't matter what you do, D. If you finish, if you win the league next season, you'll be like, oh well, it's only one trophy. <laughs> <laughs> it would just it would just complete the collection if we win the league. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> would you would you want to see Callum stay on because it's going to be interesting uh, interest in in your manager now, of course, and he's you know he's going to be sought after. We spoke about. Steve Clark finishing third at Kilmarnock. Did he leave on the back of that season when he finished third? Did he leave that season? Or did he stayed no. one more. No, he, he stayed. stayed. He stayed. Well, stayed. But only for he was only halfway through, was he not? When he got a Scotland job. Yeah. Or was that full right. season? Uh, yeah. Can't remember. But yeah. So on the back of all the good work that um, Callum has done, um, David, is it is it important that the, the club try and tie him down? As difficult that, as that may be. Yeah, I mean, I mean, after the dust settles, you just think like what a successful season it's been and mm. and he's going to be sought after um, I would imagine uh, for what he's achieved this year and even the players that are around the club um, all the young players that, are, that have done so well this year will be all sought after and um, it's going to be hard to try and keep everyone together because it's such a great team and a, such a great achievement this year that it would be great just to continue that on into next year and hopefully go even even bigger if we can yeah. Is that a worry, David, though, that, that, you know, I mean, at the moment it's it's euphoria, isn't it? And it's celebration, and rightly so, because it's a, a season like very few others uh, where you see a team like St Johnston win two trophies. But the, the upshot of it all, of course, is that Callum Davidson is going to be a wanted man um, as manager, and there are going to be quite a few of those players as well, um, you know, who are going to be wanted as well. There's going, there's going to be decisions to be made in the course of the summer. Yeah, um, massive decisions to be made uh, over the summer, and it's it's not that long of a summer either because European football is just around the corner again. So um, for us, it's going to be a, a difficult few few months um, to try and sort everything out. Um, I'm sure I'm sure the chairman and the manager will be talking now um, about everything in the future, and hopefully things can get sorted uh, quickly, and we know where we stand and. Um, yeah, we just we'll look forward to that, um, and obviously it's it's been to look back on the season uh, to think early on that we were talking about possibly fighting for relegation, yeah. uh, getting to European football and winning two two cups um, is just uh, an unbelievable achievement. But we we kind of knew um, 
with the performance we were putting in that we would get the results and we could push further up the table and, and we certainly believed that and we carried that on. Is Ali McCann maybe the biggest asset that St Johnson have at the moment and is that and is it something of an inevitability um, that Saints are going to receive an offer for him they can't refuse? I mean, it's everything's possible for him. Uh, he's only 21. He's an international footballer. He's he's played a full season with us now and, and, and last season, I mean, it got cut short which is unfortunate for him because he had some uh, an unbelievable season last season as well. Um but he's he's some player, and uh, to play alongside him, it's it's been a pleasure so far, and I hope that continues for me because uh, he's a real joy to play with, and he's a, a really really good guy as well. Um, just one of these down to earth boys that that is not phased by anything, um, and uh, I really hope he's he's there to stay for a wee bit longer. You were man of the match um, on Saturday, rightly so. Are you playing the best football of your life at the age of thirty-one, David? Uh, folk, folk kept joking with me and saying that my wife was in the the, the press box giving out the, the man of the matches for the semi final. She wasn't, was she? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I was absolutely delighted. I couldn't believe it when I looked up on the screen to see my face and and, and get the award because uh, it's not very often that I get it. Um, but I was I was absolutely delighted, and um, my this season has been no, undoubtedly the best season of my career. Um, Performance-wise, as well as as uh, success, um, uh, I've I've managed to to get in the the Canada squad as well uh, yeah. this year and, and and score my first goal for them and and uh, and with St Johnston win two another two trophies uh, and become as Fozzie said the most decorated St Johnston player, uh, which is uh, quite an achievement and it'll I don't think it'll ever sink in. Sean Rooney couldn't miss, could he? The, such was the precision of that cross. <laughs> I just, I just want to know uh, when these guys are going to realise that he's going to chop. I know he's going to. I'm watching it going. He's going to chop. He's, he's no crossing out his left foot, and it's, it's almost. You do it so. And I've said this to you. You do it so slowly that I think the defender thinks he cannot chop now because he's gone so far. But it's almost like he, he kind of swings his leg as if he's definitely going to kick and then chop. And it, I mean, the cross is excellent. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, he, I've been done with that chop could you on not several hand, occasions. Could you, could you not handle that no, in training? No? You know it's coming, but then because he's so good with both feet, now he's David's capable of crossing that in with his left foot just as well as his right foot. So you have to kind of go all out thinking, I need to try and block this. And then you do that, and obviously, like Gogic, you look completely ridiculous because you're jumping out of the pitch. And you know, I think he had probably had to pay to get himself back into the game. Uh-huh. But, um, and then the quality on the right just foot. Just flying past my window right now. <laughs> <laughs> who, have, who, have you, who are you playing against for Canada? What, what's coming up, David? Uh, we've got a couple of games. We've got a, a game against Aruba and Suriname. Um, and then if we qualify from that, we go into the next stage of it and play another couple of games. So it's uh, it's very very exciting. It's a World Cup qualifier, so um, it's very exciting indeed. Um, but uh, as Fuzzy knows, that chop is always, always going to happen. <laughs> Um, but somehow it's never getting, getting stopped and it's funny because nowadays I'm hearing managers saying pick him up and watch for the chop so <laughs> <laughs> David, you say, you, now when I'm picked up David you qualify obviously for um, Canada through your mum um, yeah. my grandfather was also a Canadian so I, I could have actually played for Canada as well um, do, you, do you enjoy going over to Canada? It's a long old way to go every time and then recover and everything else. But you obviously must feel very proud to go and play for the the country that that where your mum was born. 
Yeah, honestly, so mm. so proud. Um, it's where my grandparents lived for 12 years, and my granddad worked in the, the Hudson River, and uh, he's got fond memories of the place. And um, it, is, it is a truly proud moment for me uh, to to be involved in the squad and mm-hmm. to be an international player. Is just uh, I always I always pinching myself just uh, yeah. because I've got that achievement and. I want to. I want every success and uh, to go over there. Uh, the setup they have, the players they've got now, winning trophies all over Europe, um, is just uh, amazing. And to be in the same bracket as them is just Superb. unbelievable at the moment. David, good to talk to you. Great. Congratulations Thanks, on a brilliant season, by yeah. the way. Well done, David. Yeah, absolutely Thanks fantastic. Much, uh, long live the chop. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, the end. Yes. All no the best, David. Take care. That's David Witherspoon of St. Johnston. Uh, it's an international chop as well because uh, he's away to play with Canada coming he, up. But he gets it, he, he does it, and it works so well from because he's so two footed. So if you know if you're playing against a guy who's he's all left foot, he's all right foot, then he chops, and you think, well, go and then cross it in, cross it in with your weak foot because I, I would rather you do that than your good foot. But with David, like I said, he could have just as easily put that ball in with his left foot as he does with his yeah. right. And when when you've got a player like that, not a lot you can do. David Witherspoon, uh, two Cup winners medals in the same season and that's Scottish Cup 2014 as well. St Johnston's most decorated ever player. The Go Radio Football Show. Download the Go Radio app to listen live weeknights from five. Did I get away with that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Just about. Very it. good. It's a Go Radio Football Show on a Thursday. John Hartson, Richard Foster, Rob McLean. We're talking football. What's not to like uh, between now and uh, seven o'clock? Uh, we were raving earlier on and we'll do so again about Scott McTominay. What a performance from the Manchester United midfielder last night. He didn't get a lot of support from roundabout, to be honest. Uh, United were a big disappointment in losing in that marathon penalty shootout to Villarreal in Gdansk last night. But... Uh, his talent certainly uh, shone through, Richard, um, and let's hope he plays like that in the Euros. Yeah, and you know this is this is a, a classic argument for pick the players who are playing well now. You know, I, I know McTominay was in anyway, but I think if you look at you know we discussed it with David on the phone there, with the St Johnson centre halves who've had an excellent season, yeah. have are not gone, and we've picked centre halves from clubs who have not had a successful season or they've not played as many games. So I, I'm I'm a believer in you. I know he wants you know as a man, international manager you need to stay loyal, but pick players that are playing well in the moment. And certainly Scott McTominay is. Um, and like you said, he was probably the only Man United. Play. I mean, let's be honest, he's playing in midfield with Fernandez. He's playing in alongside Pogba, mm. and he he you know outshone them and then some. Yeah, and you know that shows the quality he can bring. And, and I said it before. And what I like about him is. He's not a you know he's not a four or a six or an eight or a right side attacking but he's a midfielder. He runs from his eighteen yard box to the other eighteen yard box and everywhere in between and he tackles, he headers it, he passes it, um he takes up good defensive positions, he makes runs forward, he does everything that I think a midfielder should do. And and that's why if he plays like that for Scotland, you know, then you know we'll have a good chance in most of the games we play. And if it wasn't Cavani that had scored that equaliser for Manu last night, then it would have been McTominay because he was very much in the vicinity um, as well. But in the end, it went to penalties, of course, and uh, Villarreal beat Man United eleven uh, ten. Um, it was in the in the final analysis. So, John, when you look at the Euros, uh, and we tend to look at opposition and worry about players and think, ooh. He's, he's a bit tasty. Well, you know, what about other teams looking in now at that Scotland squad? Scott McTominay, Kieran Tierney, John McGinn, 
Andy Robertson, Shea Adams performing at a really good level with uh, Southampton, to name but five. I think um, I think Steve Clark's got a really good group. I really do. Um, in terms of going up against the Czech Republic, Croatia, and England, you pay too much attention to England. You know they've got star names. You pay too much attention to so Croatia, who got to the World Cup uh, final, losing to was it uh, France? France? Yeah. Um, so. You've just got to go and prepare yourselves and be confident and believe in your own ability. And um, I think Scotland can can potentially get out of the group. I really do. I think um, the first game, is it the first game against the... Czech Republic, Czech Republic. 18 days away. Yeah, the Czech Republic. I think it's important to get something there. You're the home team. You've got to try and take advantage of that fact. Um, you'll have some crowd in there as well. Yeah, 12,500. Um, yeah, a vociferous crowd. Okay, it's not full. It, not going to be as intimidating as, as Hamden can be sometimes. Um, but for me, that first game is pivotal. I think you want to try and get a bit of momentum. If you lose that first game, then you're, you're staring down a barrel in a way because then you've got Croatia and England yeah. at Wembley, which I think Scotland can, can play well. I think mm-hmm. they can go to Wembley and win. They've won there before. Yeah. I think they'll be competitive. They won't show England an awful lot of respect. They'll go right after them. Um and why should they show them respect? Yeah. You know, believe in in your own ability. Steve Clark will have them fired up. They got good. They got quality all over the park. Jay Adams is is somebody that will come in and and add something different. You know, he's big, powerful. He can run. He's great on the back stick. Um, and those five players I mentioned, the England squad will know all about them because yeah. all five play in the English Premier League so they know how well McDominay has been playing for Man U they know how big a player for Arsenal Kieran Tierney is John McGinn at Aston Villa yeah they, they do I think um, you know Tierney in, in, in particular I think you know Arsenal were kind of stuttering along like me trying to say it um, <laughs> in the season and then Tierney kind of came into the team and just had a, a real hunger and desire to run forward and you know, just make things happen for his team. And I think Arsenal improved with him and the team dramatically. I think he improves the Scotland team. Um, I, I kind of, I, I'm not entirely sure that he's a left side centre half. In term, I think you do lose a bit of his quality when he plays there. But, you know, I think both him and Robertson are intelligent enough to complement each other if they both play in the team. Um, McGinn as well has a, had an excellent season. Um, I, oh, I like McGinn when he's, he's up close to the striker because he makes things happen. He's, tenacious on the ball he's got great quality on the ball he's can pick a pass and I think John's right I think when you've got this is probably the you know one of the most talented squads that Scotland have assembled in, in, certainly in recent times and I think you know you're going to a championship and no, we, we know that you don't want to go there and get kind of turned over 4 or 5-0 in the games and, and mm-hmm. kind of come back And but go there with a, a real desire to try and go and make something happen don't make it just good enough that we got there go and put in excellent performances and if the, the, the results come Amazing. If they don't, but you've still performed well, there's not nothing more you can do. Um, but I think don't go there. You just wouldn't want the players to come back with any regrets. Kind of go there and have self belief and have the confidence that they got you into the squad in the first place and got you into the Euros and go and see what can happen. And, and you know, like I say, Scotland are kind of we've had nothing for so long that they're now there. I'm just I think everybody in the country is just buzzing and just wants them to at least have a go. And that's part of the message, isn't it, going into it? It's taking 23 years to get there. Make the most of it, John. Absolutely. Go and have a real go. You know, no fear. Um, they believe, as I said, they're all playing for top clubs. You look at the season Andy Robertson. He's got into the Champions League the season before um, 
This one, you look at it last season, the, the season, the, the medal hall now that he's picking up, playing with the likes of Salah and, and these type of players every week. You know, he's come on absolutely unbelievable. One of the best left-backs in the world for me. A left-sided almost. Yeah, he is a left-back. They play a four a lot yeah. in the Liverpool. Um, so, you know, as I said, they've got real quality about them, Scotland. And it would be a shame... I'm not even going to say this. I was going to say if they were in awe of these other other uh, teams, the England, but they won't be in awe. No. Why should they be? Well, in you awe? can't. You can't afford to be, can no, you? Absolutely not. They they deserve to be at that level. They're international players. They've all got qualities about them. And as I said, I th- I think Scotland can upset a few teams. I really do. What about your starting eleven? This is a terrible thing to throw at you, uh, off the top of your head. Maybe of your own ideas already on how Scotland will start against the Czech Republic in two and a half weeks time uh, two weeks on Monday it is Richard um, I mean I, I've, I've just started to scribble there uh, so you've you started to scribble and then you've thrown it back at me yes with no who warning who hasn't scribbled yeah. yeah exactly that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, low down thing that I do uh, Marshall and goals I don't think there'll be any dispute about that I wouldn't have thought because of what he's done he is the man in possession th- is there any reason to leave him out former Craig Gordon yeah um, but no, I think I think I do think you're right. I do think David Marshall will play um, the back three. Hanley and Tierney is that two thirds of the back three? I think so, and maybe Jack Henry. I think he gives probably better balance on that right hand side. Um, he came on and, and done okay. Um, wasn't overly tested, um, but I think he's, he's he's athletic enough to play in that kind of um, kind of right side centre half, and almost you can almost shift it and. Robertson can almost become like a left winger and Tierney steps in as, as a left back if you want to kind of rotate the shape a little bit because Jack Henry's more of a centre half so I think that gives him a nice balance on that side I think it'll be O'Donnell and Robertson as I the think it'll backs. be O'Donnell and Robertson I think because you know we, later in the game if we, if we need a goal you know you might put a Ryan Fraser out there or, or a uh, James Forrest but I think initially it'll be O'Donnell I think the midfield three will be the, it's probably going to be the toughest to pick but I think you know I would Go with McTominay, McGregor, and McGinn. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I know that I'm leaving out quality there, but that's you know you're gonna someone's gonna have to do that. And then the two up top, you know, I would probably go with Shea Adams and and Ryan Fraser just just in behind him. I know Steve Clark likes to have that player kind of almost with the free roll. And I think of the of the players we've got, I think Ryan Fraser does it very very well. That, that was interesting there. Richard said that because I looked at the team that played Serbia. Mm-hmm. Scotland team, the two front players were Ryan Christie and Lyndon Dykes. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've just chose a different two mm-hmm. that you play up top. Yeah. Obviously, um, is Lyndon Dykes not the target man? Is he not going to be what uh, Stevie Clark builds the attacking formation around? Is is, is Shea Adams a, a number nine? I know you do like getting numbers getting thrown at you, but, but I, I think Shea Adams can do the job. I think yeah. he can be the target man. I think he can. He do you should... get more out of him when he's playing off somebody? You know, I'm talking about playing Dykes and Adams. Yeah, um, I think he, I don't think he, I've not seen enough of Shea Adams to to really qualify that with a, a kind of educated opinion um, in terms of whether he's better as a focal point striker or just in behind. Um, but and I think you know I think in some games it will be Dykes and Adams. I just I think Steve Clark likes that almost to have an extra midfielder on the pitch as opposed to two strikers and and certainly I think in the first game against the Czech Republic you, you're going to need that because yeah. obviously their kind of their ball retention is very very good um, and whether it's whether it's Dykes or Che Adams I don't know 
Um, but you know that was you just asked me off the cuff of my opinion. I did. I think and you gave me almost an educated response to it. That was educated. Well, and that's that's what I'd go with now. Yeah. When, when in eighteen days' time, when the lineup is completely different to that, you realise <laughs> why I'm sitting here and Steve Clark <laughs> away at the Euros. What about you, John? What what would you do up front for Scotland? I'd play probably the one with um, maybe um, a Christie. I play Che Adams. Certainly, you brought him in. You Would know, you worry about Ryan Christie's form for Celtic? Well, recently? he played Christie. He's one of the he's one of the heroes that we heard yes. him speak. So, yeah. um, I know he's a hero. And 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 Stevie Clark will be loyal. Well, he's been loyal, hasn't he, with, with the squad he's picked? But uh, come the crunch, there has to be a balance between loyalty to guys who've done it for you and players who are actually on form. And the likes of Ryan Christian and, and Callum McGregor have come off a really tough season with Celtic, which has clearly affected their form. Yeah, but he's also brought in uh, David Turnbull. You've got Callum McGregor, you know, who you just mentioned there. But I still think he's got the qualities to start Callum McGregor. I think if you take him out, I think you lose a lot of somebody who's brave, who can get on the ball, who can, who can make them forward passes. Billy Gilmore? Billy Gilmore might get an opportunity in these two friendlies now coming yeah. up because I think when you go into the three group games, you want to be at your best. You want to start with your, you know, your your, your top players that you believe that you could, if they win, they're going to use them again. They're such big competitive games. I think Gilmore and Turnbull give themselves an opportunity in these two yeah. friendlies. I think they'll feature. So it's down to them then how well they do and maybe maybe just give Steve Clark something to think about in terms of can they go and play in the group games it's going to be really interesting isn't it those three names that were effectively the three names added the headline names were, were Nathan Patterson Billy Gilmore and, and David Turnbull it's going to be interesting to see whether they remain on the fringe of it or maybe over the next couple of weeks in the course of training and these two games against Netherlands and Luxembourg whether any of them or, or need all of them can actually force their way into Stevie Clark's thinking about his starting lineup. Well, exactly. I think John spoke about it well there that you know it's it's now up to them. I, I do believe they'll play. I don't see the point in taking them if you mm. don't play them in the friendly games because then you're never going to know. Um, and from what I've seen, obviously briefly of of uh, Patterson and Gilmore, uh, I've seen more of Turnbull. But I think those two certainly have the quality to go in and play. I don't think you're. I don't think you look at Patterson and say that he's at all behind Stephen O'Donnell. But Stephen O'Donnell has far more experience at that level so um, it's just whether he can produce in training or these three guys can produce enough in training and I know training is different to games and enough in those two friendly games to, so the manager actually goes you know what I, I do think I can trust him and put him in because a, a lot of getting your opportunity as a younger player is can the manager trust you to do your job and I think if they show in those two friendlies and in training that he can trust them then obviously it gives him three extra options but it gives those young guys a chance of actually playing the games it's going to be very exciting, isn't it? The the build-up, well, we're already excited about it. And we've got uh, two and a half weeks still to go. We're going to have to just calm down a little. Uh, but buzzing uh, we all are about the prospects of Scotland kicking off their campaign. Uh, on the 14th of June, Scotland against the Czech Republic at Hamden with fans, at least 12,500 of them in the European Championship Finals. The Go Radio Football Show. Download the Go Radio app to listen live weeknights from five. I kind of miss Chris when he's not doing the travel uh, and I've made a pretty poor job of it tonight to be perfectly honest with you but the reality is there's not too much to report uh, not too many problems out there and uh, hopefully you are finding it uh, 
that way as you head home, if indeed you are heading home at this stage. Uh, the only thing I spotted earlier on today, and uh, Richard, you spotted this too, it's funny the things that we both seem to come across on the roads, uh, and this was a, a load of eggs that had been uh, offloaded, unloaded uh, on Queen Margaret Drive, just at the top of Queen Margaret Drive, uh, junction with Great Western Road. Yeah. Um, it sounds like uh, the, the first line of a joke, doesn't it, really? But uh, And I'm sure there are some really good punchlines <laughs> as well. Um, but it's true. Uh, the, yeah. Obviously, I, did you see what the eggs had come off? Was that a no, van or a I've never seen that. Um, there was nothing there by the time I got there. There were just pallets of eggs. Yeah. Now, a lot of them were obviously smashed, but there was a lot of them that were just you know, in good shape and kind of were, almost stacked in pallets. Were they free range? Did you notice? <laughs> well, they were certainly free. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is not true. You'll get egg in your face, you know. <laughs> well, I know exactly. But actually, there were, there were loads of people around. If, if it hadn't been so busy, I could hardly stop my car at that point. But I was going to get... I wasn't going to nick some eggs, but but I was going to actually just help. Would it be, uh, would to, it be stealing, though? Would it be stealing if they're just kind of there? And, not, and whatever they've fallen off has driven away and essentially left them. I'm not sure. But uh, certainly, I mean, obviously some of them had smashed, clearly. That egg, that, when eggs fall on the road, they tend to smash. But some had stayed in one piece and, and yeah, some people was, were was, picking them there up. There was full pallets that had kind of pretty much all the eggs in the pallet and people were just picking up. And, and why wouldn't you? You know yeah. what I mean? Three yeah. eggs, that's your yeah. breakfast for a week. I missed eggheads the show tonight before I come out. <laughs> I was shell-shocked. <laughs> Right, that's enough of that. Um, the Go Radio Football Show on a Thursday. We're here all week. <laughs> <laughs> we actually are between five and seven. And we're back, of course, uh, tomorrow uh, with Paul and Barry and Mark Greedy as well on the show tomorrow for a Friday. And just noticing, John, that uh, it's John Hartson and Richard Foster and Rob McLean, by the way, just in case you'd uh, forgotten or just in case you've joined us for the last chunk of the, the programme. Otten Edouard has been posting on Insta saying that he's looking forward to fans inside Celtic Park next mm. season. Uh, well, it's interesting. It might mean absolutely nothing, mm. but it might mean we're all just getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, John, in yeah. thinking that it's an, an inevitability. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you these teeth back in a sec. Um, that uh, that he's leaving. Maybe maybe Edson Edward is going to be part of the new Celtic. Well, a couple of things for me is um, I know that Edward. It, there's there's an almost like a school of thought and, and expectancy from everyone, and I mean everyone. I'll go on record and say this: the Celtic fans, you know, all think he's going. You know, we, mm. what we don't know that the club may well not get the the, the 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 right transfer fee for him. You know, somebody's got to come in and pay the money that Celtic value him at. Um, I actually know that Edward loves playing for Celtic. He really, really does. Um, but there's just been this this process, hasn't it, over the last year, um, maybe the year before that, he was definitely staying this particular season on the back of such a poor season as well for Celtic. Um, everybody seems to think, and I'm the I'm the biggest culprit for it. I've been saying Edward will go. You've actually asked me, Rob, what's he worth? What's he going to go yeah. for? But listen, it wouldn't be all beyond all realms if, if he was to stay. What if Eddie Howe comes, uh, is having talks and he's saying to the the owners, "Look, I want to come." And by the way, I love this. I love this kid. We've got up centre forward. We've got Edward. I would love to keep him. Other give me give me half an hour with him. Do you know? We don't know these. There things. could be an Eddie connection there, couldn't there? Oh, well, it could be Rob. But um, at the end of the day, we don't know what happens at a football club. There is this thought process that he will leave. But listen, he said today he can't wait to play in front of the fans again.
I mean, a lot of people have said, oh, he's disappointing season. Obviously, it was a massively disappointing season. It was a, a shock of a season for Celtic in terms of the way it all panned out. But he's finished on 22, 23 goals, Odson, Edouard. That's not bad in a team that's been toiling. No, not at all. And I think he, he missed, did he not miss a few games with injury as well? Yeah, he did. Well. Yeah, so, he did. Well, he, he, there was COVID, the COVID with the oh, French yeah. under 21s, wasn't so, it? So, personally, I think he's had a good season. I think mm. when you when you play at Celtic and, and Rangers and the spotlight is on you all the time, everyone makes so much about, oh, his body language, he doesn't, you know. Well, he might just be having a bad day that day. You know, you might see him in a game and he might think be thinking, you know what, I'm having a terrible game here. Um, I can't wait for this game to end because I'm just I'm crap I'm rubbish so that might be all it is but we go oh no look at his body language he doesn't want to play for Celtic he wants to leave we forget that Celtic is a huge club mm. you know and at Celtic he's won things and if he stays longer he probably will win more things and he'll play in the Champions League and these are things that I think sometimes get overlooked because yes the money down in England is far greater but some players, some players, you know, want to progress a career and want to go to England and maybe then play for the top six in England and play, you know, get to the Champions League that way and win things that way. But some players just want to win things as players. Look at Scott Brown, how long he stayed at Celtic because he was happy there. So there's no telling. Edward might be, you, John, you said he, he loves playing for Celtic and why wouldn't he? Mm. This season's been difficult because they haven't won anything, which is not like Celtic of late, of course, for the last nine seasons. But maybe he's going, you know what, I do want to stay here. And I think that what's fueled the rumours of him leaving is the whole manager situation because there's not someone there because Eddie Howe could come in and go he's my main guy we're going to build a team around yeah. him and he's going to feel like you know the main man and yeah I feel great but he, he doesn't know that yet because nobody's there I actually I actually expect him to leave if I'm being totally honest with you I expect him to leave expect... because he wants to leave uh, a bit of both or because Celtic and want maybe... to cash in well, I think if Celtic get a, a relatively, I don't know, 25 minutes, something that blows it out of the water, then they're in a the position to go, well, we can give this money to the new manager. But then you look at it and you go, Ayeti, who's not been anywhere near good enough, he's, he's left as in terms of strikers at the club. Ayeti's not been good enough, paid £5 million for him, never featured hardly, did he, under John Kennedy. No. Clemala's gone. Don't know where Lee Griffiths stands, really. He didn't really play. You know, Eddie Howe might come in and, and give Lee you know, a little bit of confidence and start playing and we don't know. And El Yanusi, obviously he's, he's on loan so we don't know whether he'll go back to Southampton or... And it's an expensive loan as so well. So all of a sudden be... you lose, you lose Edouard mm. and you're left with three or four strikers and uh, is are they are they particularly good enough? We know Griffiths' quality but are they good enough to lead Celtic's line next yeah. season in a season where they have to bounce back? Yeah, yeah because if you if you take, if it is 25 million and you take the 25 million for Odson Edouard then you've got to find another Odson Edouard, don't you? Now, if you're lucky, you find another 19-year-old, I think, as he was when he came over from PSG and, and, he's, de and he's developed into the player we see now. Mm -hmm. Or you have to buy someone who's ready to hit the ground running and score you 25, 30 goals a season. And they cost money. You know, the, the strikers from down south, if you're going to take without even, even top-end championship... They cost an awful lot of money, but you know, strikers are the most important players on the pitch. I mean, they 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 win your trophies. Strikers. I know we spoke about clean sheets and quality players, but it's just centre forwards. When I was at Livingston, we got uh, Ryan Hardy and on loan from Rangers, and we had Lee Miller. We went from being an average team to a top team because they started banging in goals. I think they got. 13 goals in our last 18 games and we finished second to St Mirren but it was because generally because your strikers 
you know, uh, Young Hardy running in behind, Lee Miller being a focal point. Mm. Um, and we went up the league and they were magnificent for us. So hence, your strikers, for me, if they're at it and they're your best players, you you will move up the table. Yeah, I mean, even as a defender, I can't disagree. We we had Brian Graham largely for the entire season kind of leading the line on his own. And, he, you know, he'd done an admirable job. But when Scott Tiffany came in and Zach Rudden got back fit, that's what won us the league. Yeah. You know, y- yes... You you attack as a team and defend as a team, but you need that quality at the top end of the pitch. And, and it's somewhere like Celtic. Um, you know, it, it's it, last season they needed it. You know, Edward scored twenty two goals and they still couldn't carry that that the poor defence over the line. So all players are important, but I think if you've got someone that top end and you know that you're going to score in a game, it gives everybody much more confidence. And Zach Rudden's got a place in the Scotland under twenty one squad. He certainly does, and. Um, he, he deserves it yeah, like I say he was excellent just with his running power and behind he could finish he can hold the ball up He's, he plays great as a as a partner for, for Big Brian up front um, and like I say Scott Tiffany coming in off the left and just their pace and um, their goals basically uh, kind of dragged us up the league What can also happen of course with Odds and Edward we're speaking about the possibility that, that, that somebody comes in and pays the money and that's it the, the end of his time and everyone says you were wonderful but that's the end of it with, with Odds and Edward and Celtic what if Celtic don't get the price? I mean, that could be a, that could be another. Eddie Howe might desperately want him to stay. He might see him as key to to his plans moving on, or Celtic don't get the price, John, and 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 they don't want to sell him cut price because they reckon he's worth that because he's got a Celtic profile. He's also got his international profile because he's been a prolific scorer for the. He's been a record breaking scorer for the French under twenty ones. Yeah, I think if a if a reasonably sized offer come in that said this boy we were talking thirty million two years ago, mm. you know twenty five thirty million okay in the, in the last season twenty two last year Celtic had a poor season, um, he never got the goals that he didn't really have an, a, a partner all season the season that he scored thirty goals the year before him and Griffiths were exceptional when they came back from Dubai. And they went on to, obviously, it was cut short the season, but I thought they would have gone on anyway. That's another thing. But I just feel that if Celtic get the right offer for him, I think he will leave the football club because I think there's a there's a, there's a, there's a, a quiet word with Edwards, uh, representatives and Celtic that he stayed on this particular last season, of course, because he knew what was at stake, needed his goals, needed him to lead the line, hasn't worked out. Take nothing away from Edward, but I just think another year down the line, I think he'll be looking at the fact that he will move on and the club will come in with the right fee for him. Um, that's what I feel. I feel he will leave the football club. But like every other Celtic-minded person, I would absolutely love him to stay because in terms of Eddie Howe, a new manager coming in, he, he's going to need goals and nobody brings them better than Edward. That's- his price diminishes... Yeah, because he goes into the last year of his contract yeah. and what you can get him for. The longer Celtic keep him, the less they'll get from him. So it's whether yeah. it's whether the, if the, the the price comes in, they go, yeah, we'll sell him now because we're going to lose him down the line anyway. Because he will move on eventually. But it's it's whether they do it now or later. Surely only a matter of time before that appointment is announced. But uh, only after Celtic have uh, announced their pre-season schedule and also the season ticket details as well. You would imagine that the managerial appointment should have come before that. It's going to come after. Surely it's not far away. That's all we've got time for. Thanks to Richard and thanks to John as well. Thanks to you lot for listening and join us again tomorrow live at five. The Go Radio Football Show. Download the Go Radio app to listen live weeknights from five. I'm joined now by Gary from OPC Energy. Gary, what a job you did out there today. Oh, it was it was unbelievable. You saw the customers' faces when that boiler went in. 
It's a really special moment. And what about the overall performance? Unreal. You, you could really feel the heat out there. I'm delighted with the result and we move on to the next one. Thanks, Gary. Come on! For more information on boiler upgrades, heat pumps and more, visit opc-ltd.uk. Get ahead of the game with OPC Energy. The Go Radio Football Show. Talking football first. Listen live weeknights from five.